Well, let's turn in the Word of God now. The book of Luke. The book of Luke as we look at the subject of a renewed hope. Luke 24, verses 13 to 45, a section of text that speaks of two individuals who are walking along a road, the road to Emmaus. And these individuals were very discouraged and distraught from the events that had happened and the Lord Jesus comes alongside of them to renew their hope. That is the message this morning in Luke chapter 24 as we read together verse 13 and following. Luke 24 verse 13 And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you were walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was He who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning did not find His body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that He was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going. And he acted as though he were going farther, but they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And so he went in to stay with them. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered there the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. 
Let's bow in a word of prayer together as we come before the Word of God. Our Father in Heaven, just as you opened their eyes, the eyes of the two on the road to Emmaus, may you also open ours to see great and mighty things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. John Kessler is a professor at Moody Bible Institute and he wrote a book entitled The Stranger in the House of God. And there he tells the story of a young man, his younger brother. His younger brother whose name was George. And he writes about George, his little brother, and he tells the story. How George had difficulty after difficulty and heartache after heartache. Because when his little brother was born, he was born with a collapsed lung shortly after birth. He was born with a learning disability that made him the brunt of jokes even from his own family. His first wife cheated on him after only being married for less than a year. He was permanently laid off from the only job that he knew how to do well at that time. And his pain snowballed. And George hit rock bottom. But because John, his brother, hadn't kept in touch with him, he didn't really know what was going on. Then there was a literal wake-up call concerning George's condition late one night and Kessler writes this in his book, quote, I awoke from a sound sleep with a sense of dread, compelled to pray for my brother. In particular, I felt impressed to ask God to spare his life. The longer I prayed, the more anxious I became, sensing George was in some kind of grave danger. A week later, I got a phone call from my father. My brother's roommate contacted him saying George had tried to commit suicide. Despondent over his life, he had slit his wrists with a kitchen knife. He really meant business, my father said. If his roommate had come 15 minutes later, it would have been too late. My brother's roommate discovered him about the same time I was asking God to spare George's life, unquote. He had a lot of encouragement from his family and his friends after that and George partnered with God to put his life back together. He learned how to cope with his learning disability. He overcame depression and he worked difficult, long trying hours as an emergency medical technician in order to earn a college degree which he earned with honors. All the while, he was taking an all-important step towards a life of faith with God. And after meeting his second wife, Jan, George committed his life to Jesus Christ. His transformation stirred in him a deep desire to serve other people with his life. He had been weighed down for a long, long time with pain. And eventually... He became the chaplain for the Detroit Fire Department. John Kessler writes this in his book, quote, He doesn't regret the difficulties he has faced. He doesn't see them as unfortunate twists of fate or himself as a victim of circumstances. He sees them as tools weighed down by the gracious hand of God. 
Quote, without them, he says, I wouldn't be the person I am today. George doesn't consider any of his accomplishments remarkable. I'm just a survivor, he says. I'm no hero. Perhaps not to others. Certainly not to himself. But he is to me. Unquote. The story of George has been written in many lives, maybe even yours. Story of problems and difficulties in life, the story that is riddled with dreams that haven't come true, hopes that have been turned to despair, disappointments and the futures that we had wished shattered. Maybe it's a job that you were hoping to get. Maybe it's a job that you had recently lost. Maybe it's a life, a child that you had lost or a child that you wish were walking with God. Maybe it's that relationship or that marriage that didn't turn out like you would have dreamed. Or maybe it's that high school that you would have wanted to go to or that college that you had applied for that rejected you. Maybe it's that all-important class that was key to your major. Or maybe it might have been somebody whom you loved that had passed away. And in so doing, we wonder... Why? We wonder why. God really cared. Why? Why is this thing happening? We wonder why we're going through this and why we've been dealt these cards by God while others that we look at seemingly have an easy path in life. Why is it that my life has been so difficult or so full of difficulties and troubles? Why is it that my disappointments are so much bigger? And why is it that my dreams aren't fulfilled as I would have wanted them to? Lord, we ask why. And hope is dim or hope was lost. And the same could be true and said about these two people who were walking along this road to Emmaus too, where hope was lost for them. It was a hope that they had had, for they had come back on that Sunday, the Passover Sunday, when millions of Jews had come to Jerusalem for the Passover. It was the one Sunday in the year when people would flock to Jerusalem, bringing their sacrifices and offerings to go to the temple to God. It was the Sunday after the crucifixion of Christ on that Friday that they were traveling back. And one of the disciples' names was Clopas. Some think that he is the individual in John 19.25 whose name was Cleopas. Some believe this is one and the same individual. And if that is true, then this individual was the uncle of Jesus. So here was the uncle of Jesus. Some think that perhaps he, the stranger, the other stranger was his wife or some think perhaps it might have been his friend. But here Jesus comes alongside of a person, these two individuals, to talk with them because they were on their way perhaps home to Emmaus. Seven miles away from Jerusalem, they traveled by foot. But when Jesus came along, the Bible says that their eyes were prevented from recognizing Him. And He came alongside. And the Bible says that they stood still, looking sad. And one of them said, Are you the only one? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who hasn't heard about what has happened to the Savior? Are you the only one that doesn't know what has happened? After all, the crucifixion of Christ began with the entrance of Christ into Jerusalem the week prior. 
When Jesus had ridden into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, when people were waving palm branches and throwing them on the ground along with their cloaks and saying, Hosanna in the highest to the King. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And He began and He entered Jerusalem as a King. And the events that were to follow were nothing of small news in the city of Jerusalem. For he went to the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers because they were taking the sheep that people had brought and saying, that's not good enough. You've got to buy one of our sheep. One that has been certified by the priests. Or they were taking their money, the money changers that were there and saying that money that you have is not good enough. It has the image of Caesar and that would be idolatry. You've got to change it to Jewish coins. But Jesus said this is a house of prayer. Not a house will take money from people who have come to sacrifice. Then there was teaching in the temple when the chief priests and the Pharisees, the Sadducees tried to trap him in his own words the people might hear should we pay taxes to Caesar or not and Jesus masterfully answers to them give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give unto God what belongs to him and then they tried to trap him again in a question about marriage when he said you know what there won't be marriage in heaven and then he sees the widow who is in the temple giving two small coins and he says that widow has given so much more than all the rest because she sacrificially gave then he taught on the future and that Thursday he celebrated he celebrated the Passover with his disciples the last supper before going out to the garden of Gethsemane before going into prayer, before the time when He would bear the burden and the sin of the entire world, before He would be betrayed, before He would be abandoned and beaten, and before He would be paraded through Jerusalem and crucified. He had entered the city as a king and He had exited as a criminal to be crucified on the cross, all because it was a part of the plan of God, because of the love of God for us. And this was the Passover that they spoke about to Jesus. Are you the only one that doesn't seem to know what is happening? Are you the only one that seems to be oblivious to all that has happened? They were hoping, it says in verse 21. They said, we were hoping. We were hoping. But it was He who was going to redeem Israel Besides this, this is the third day since all of these things had happened. You see, these two individuals, they, they were hoping. Their hopes were all invested in Jesus, the healer, the teacher, the miraculous prophet. One who was going to deliver them from the bondage that they had under the Roman yoke. One who was going to give the nation identity. One who was going to give the nation sovereignty over themselves. One who was going to bring freedom and joy and restore their celebration. Restore their, 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 their future for their families. But all of that was placed upon Jesus as thousands or hundreds of thousands or perhaps even millions had hoped Jesus would. 
But hopelessness filled their heart when they told this stranger all that had happened. And they told him about the empty tomb discovered by the women and the angel who had appeared and others who had confirmed the empty tomb. But even then, they didn't believe. They were still sad, the scriptures said. You see, they had seen with their eyes because they had seen the empty tomb. They had heard the testimony of others. They had all the facts. And yet, they failed to understand and they failed to believe all that God had done. They had seen, they had heard, they had seen all the facts, but they failed to understand and failed to believe. And I'll tell you, you know what? A lot of people are like that. And that's not uncommon, is it? Maybe even some who have studied the Bible or maybe some who have come to church for a long time or attended conferences and retreat after retreat after retreat and they hear the Word of God and yet when times of testing come, they fail to believe. They fail when the test of their faith comes because doubt covers the heart. And our actions don't coincide just like these two strangers on the road to Emmaus had. For they had known all that God had done and yet didn't understand. Their doubt led to mistrust. Trust in themselves, trust in all that they had seen, but they had not seen the risen Savior. And yet God calls us to trust, to trust in the Word of God. We sing that hymn when it says, When we walk with the Lord, in light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. When we do His good will, He abides with us still. And to all who would what? Trust and obey. When problems in life come, when our hope is lost, just like these two do, we have seen, we have heard, And God calls us to trust in God for His Word is true. And so what does Jesus do? He renews their hope through His Word. He opens the Scriptures to them in verse 25 and He says, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer all these things? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the thing concerning himself in the Scriptures. You see, they had been foolish because they had failed to believe. Here he, Jesus begins by saying, Look, in the books of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, let me tell you about who I am. And he began in the beginning who he was, and he went on to the prophets of what the prophets had written and testified of who He was. And He began to open the Word of God to them so that their faith and their hope might be renewed. And He explained to them, it says, that's the word from which we get the word hermeneutics or the word that we understand the interpretation of the Scriptures. He opened it and He explained to them the Word of God. He interpreted it for them so that they might know that it spoke of Jesus. For their hope had been crushed at the crucifixion, but here He desired to renew their hope through the Word of God. I don't know if you enjoy learning, but I certainly enjoy learning. Those of you who are in school, I know that I don't look forward to exams, but I enjoy learning. I enjoy learning, especially when someone can teach me things that I don't know, but particularly things from the Word of God. The Word of God is here and everyone has 
has opportunity to have a copy. There are free Bibles over there as well. But it's not simply owning one's own Bible or not only holding one's own Bible as many people around the world do not have the opportunity to have. But it is reading and learning and loving the Word of God that it might be a part of our life that when times of discouragement come, when our dreams aren't fulfilled like we would have wanted them to, we don't look to what else can we do. We look to God and the promises that He gives because the Word of God brings hope to the heart. That God has promises for us to learn and to live by. So don't avoid, don't avoid learning. Don't avoid the Word of God. Don't avoid being a part of a group that studies the Bible. Don't avoid coming to Sunday school. But seek to have the Word of God as part of one's life because then one's hope can be renewed. But thirdly, what Jesus did was He revealed Himself. It's not simply the knowledge of the Word of God, but it's in the revelation of Jesus. For when they neared the village of Emmaus, what did they do? It was getting close to night, and nighttime was a time when thieves and bandits and the difficulty of traveling and the animals that were roaming the road, the danger was there. So they said to Jesus, Jesus, stay with us. Stay with us. What did He do? It says in verse 30, when He had reclined at the table with them, He took the bread and he blessed it. And he, breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were open, And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. At their insistence, he came. At their insistence, they had a meal. At their insistence, they shared together. And God opened their eyes to who Jesus was. When it comes to the things of God, you see, it is God who opens the eyes that were once blinded to who He was. It is God who saves. It is God who opens the eyes of our heart that we might see. For in 2 Timothy 2.7 it says, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And as I often pray in Psalm 119.18, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. And we sing songs like that as well. Open my eyes that I may see glimpses of truth Thou hast for me. Or open my ears that I may hear voices of truth Thou sendest dear. Or we say, open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. Or soften my heart with oil. Open my eyes to see. Fill me with understanding. Soften my heart to receive. See, it is God who opens the eyes that are blind. It is God who saves. It is God who causes us to understand. It's not because of our ingenuity, our intelligence, or because of our own efforts. It is God who grants spiritual sight to open the eyes of the blind. And just like these two strangers, though, God places the initiative upon us. For these two strangers asked Jesus to stay. He was going to go on. They asked Him their willingness for Him to come. He was going to go on. They were open to Jesus and what He had opened the Word of God to them. And God opened their eyes. And when our hope, you see, is in Christ, God opens the door and God opens the Word and God opens to us and He renews our heart in Christ. 
And lastly, hope that the two had was shared with others. These two men, after seeing Jesus, they had thought that He was dead, but now they knew He was alive. And what did they do? You imagine to yourself, the sun was setting and it was seven miles to Jerusalem. I don't know if you've ever run, many of you run perhaps, you run in cross country or whatever it might be, you know a 5K is what, three and a half miles or it's a little over three miles or so. Here there were seven miles and they ran back to Jerusalem at night in sandals because they wanted to tell people that the Savior was alive. And they told the apostles and while telling the apostles, Jesus appeared to him unless they thought that they were perhaps hallucinating. Jesus said, He appeared and He said, Look here are my hands and my feet that it is I myself, verse 39, and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. The hope that we have comes from His Word. The hope that we have comes because God opens our eyes to who Jesus is. And when God opens the eyes of our heart, we have the news that Jesus is alive. And that because Jesus is alive and walks beside us, we are to tell others as well. Just as Jesus came alongside of these two on that road to Emmaus, just as Philip came alongside of the Ethiopian eunuch, just as Paul had taken many times to explain to people the hope that they have in the Savior, so too should we come alongside of others to tell them that Jesus is alive and that they can have hope and that they can know Christ that they can share the Word of God with family and with friends. Yesterday, I conducted a funeral. That funeral was packed. Many people had come to pay their respects to someone who had passed away, someone who had died. They came on that day to cry and to mourn somebody who had lived a full life. What a blessing it was to share with them that, you know what, they can have hope. Hope for a future. Because time, I shared with them, time is important for us to remember people who have gone before us. Time was important because time is short and we only have so much time. And yet time lasts for eternity. And God has given us a choice today to decide what will we do for eternity? What will we do? And where will we go? And God has given to us that choice that if we place our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He will give us and grant to us that salvation, believing, believing that His Son had died on the cross for our sins. That we can turn to Him. We have to recognize, though, that we need Christ. For none of us is perfect. You know, in this past week, we've received a lot of calls at the office. A lot of calls for help. Because the Harvest Ministry has been publicized in a few newspapers around the area and people have been calling the office and asking for help or asking for help from others. 
Because they know of someone who needs help, some have, have broken their, their hand or some were disabled, some need help doing household chores, others are very discouraged. But all of them have one thing in common. They recognize that they have a need and they call and they ask for help. We're more than happy to help and they've had the opportunity to share with them the hope that Christ has. And I praise God for that. And praise God for all of you who have gone out to do these things for others that we might share about Jesus. Because that's the hope that we have. The hope of life everlasting. We have that choice today here too. We have that choice here today to say to God, God, I need help. My hope perhaps is shallow. What am I hoping in? I'm hoping in myself. I'm hoping in my education. I'm hoping that tomorrow will be a better day and I roll the dice to see if it will be true. But you don't know. But God says, I have a hope for you. A hope that you can bet your life upon. A hope that is a life everlasting. A hope that comes if you place your faith and your trust in me and my Son who has died for your sins and has been resurrected from the dead, then I have a hope that brings joy to my soul because I will live. I will live with God after I die. A hope of forgiveness that God has saved me and has given me eternal life. That is the hope that God extends to everyone this Easter. A hope that is sure. A hope that can be renewed. And that is the invitation and when we do, our hope is renewed and we can wake up with joy just like George does with a purpose in life. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, O God, you know the hearts that are here for nothing is hidden from you and nothing is hidden from your eyes. So, Father, peer into our heart. And I pray, Father, for those who have come today, perhaps they're discouraged. Perhaps they're depressed. Perhaps, Lord, they have disappointments and they carry burdens upon their heart. And I pray, O oh God, that they would come to Jesus. For you have written in your word, as your son has said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. O God, I pray that they might come, that they might receive your son as their Lord and Savior, turn from living their own way, and receive the gift of eternal life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.